<clears throat> Romans 16, and we'll read the first 16 verses. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Sencria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epenetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, <clears throat> a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. <clears throat> well, we come again this morning to this closing section of Paul's epistle to the Romans. Paul has finished setting forth the main themes of the gospel in these chapters that preceded, and now he's closing things up, ending with some personal words of greeting and exhortation. And we saw last time that even though uh, as we read down through the section that we just read, it might seem pretty dry at first, but actually there are some wonderful things that we can glean from it. <clears throat> we looked at five of them last time. First of all, we saw that the Bible was given to the common man. Not only uh, were most of these names that we read Gentile names, but most of the names were either slave names or former slave names. And so um, the church at Rome was made up of a majority of either slaves or former slaves, people that probably couldn't read a lot of them. And yet Paul is not afraid to give the deepest theological truth to them. And what that ought to do, it ought to encourage every one of us that God gave the Bible to us. He didn't give it to scholars. Uh, he gave it to the common man uh, to be able to study and understand his truth uh, not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty are called. But God uh, chose the foolish of the world to confound the wise. 
And secondly, we saw that there are no little or unimportant people with God. Um, Even the mighty Apostle Paul would never have been able to accomplish a fraction of what he did if it hadn't been for a bunch of people that we wouldn't even know their names apart from sections like this where we get a little glimpse into the behind the scenes. Uh, the prayers, the the help, the support, the continued faithfulness of countless so-called little people. So there are no little or unimportant people with God. And then thirdly, we saw that Paul had a deep and special appreciation for women and for their ministry. In these verses that we just read, Paul mentions nine women by name. And particularly, he mentions five of them. They're commended for their work in the Lord. So their ministry was important. And uh, think of the Apostle Paul mentioning nine women in in one church, and a church that he hasn't met. But he had received word, and he was acquainted in different ways with some of these. And then fourthly, we saw that at least uh, three and perhaps five separate house churches were in the Roman church. Uh, Greet so-and-so and and the church in their house. Uh, It was the providence of that time that uh, logistically they didn't have buildings even like this to meet in in general. And so they were meeting in their homes. And uh, what a blessing it was um, that the early church was, you know, quote, forced to meet in intimate groups, fellowship. And But it is a lesson to us about um, just the need for intimate fellowship uh, with one another in gatherings and smaller groups. So small groups are special. It's, it ought to be an aspect... We ought never to get the idea, well, size is some kind of a great indicator of God's blessing. It's not. There's a lot of, a lot of churches where Christ has removed the candlestick long ago. They're not even a real church anymore and they're growing by leaps and bounds. So what we need to be thinking of is the quality, not the quantity. And the reality of the uh, fellowship, not the outward show. <coughs> Um, and then fifthly, <clears throat> we saw that Christians are exhorted to have and show affection for one another, especially in the matter of greeting one another. And uh, this is important enough that God saw fit to include it uh, specifically in the exhortations here in this section. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That is, show affection to one another publicly embarrassingly maybe for some people, publicly. I mentioned last time that whenever I, years ago when I first saw men greet each other and hug each other, it was a little embarrassing to me. I thought, what's going on? Well, that's the way Christians are. They're, they're warm towards one another. They're, uh, and we don't have to fake anything, but it ought, it ought, to, it ought to be real. <clears throat> I mean, I've seen situations where I didn't feel good if I didn't hug somebody. That's the way it ought to be. You ought to just have that desire. You know, I want 
I want to do this. So those are some things that we saw from this section. Um, and with that brief review, then, I wanted us to look today um, particularly at one of the couples that Paul mentions here, and that is Priscilla and Aquila. Verses 3 to 5, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who from my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles also greet the church that is in their house. Notice that Paul here uses uh, the more proper form of uh, Priscilla's name, which is Prisca. And uh, he he tended to do that. Luke tended to use the diminutive form, or what we call a pet name, Priscilla. We do this in uh, English as well. For example, the name Elizabeth has a bunch of different pet names. It's Lizzie and Liz and Beth and Betsy and Betty and so on. But our pet names tend to be shorter, so Elizabeth shortened down to Liz. Now, in their case, the pet name was longer. Instead of Prisca, it's Priscilla. And we do have that in English. We have uh, things like you have a lamb and then you have a little lambkin. That's a longer word, but it's a more diminutive term. And so that's the way Priscilla was. Paul calls her Prisca. Evidently, uh, she went by both. And um, so the question comes up, why take time out to consider uh, Priscilla and Aquila? And the answer is that uh, they are mentioned six times. Think of this, six times in the Bible. That's more than a number of the apostles. You think, well, I'm one of the twelve. I'm one of the apostles. Well, you get your name in the Bible maybe twice on some of the apostles. Some of them, probably most of us couldn't even name all of them. But Priscilla and Aquila get their name in the Bible six times in four different books of the Bible. And uh, not only that, it's not just a matter of how often they were mentioned, But it's clear that they played a very important role in the life of the Apostle Paul and of the early church. And so uh, what I want us to do today is to uh, just read these verses and get a feel for the history, and then I'll try to make some applications. And we're going to spend longer than usual on the history, but uh, we've done this very little over the last... 40 years, so it's not going to hurt us any (laughs) to get a little feel for this. Um, I'll turn the light off after a while probably, but this is a pretty good map of the early church setting. But if you'll turn with that um, to Acts chapter 18, and we'll get the first uh, mention of Priscilla and Aquila. Acts chapter 18. And verses 1 to 4. After these things, he, that is Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, 
a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working. For by trade, now this is an apostle working, by trade they were tent makers, and he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, <clears throat> Paul, I don't know how this is going to do on volume, but... Okay, yeah. Uh, Paul had just come down from Thessalonica, and he'd come down to Berea. You remember the story about the Bereans. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with all readiness of mind, searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. So that was the Bereans. And from there he came down to Athens. And uh, that was the uh, confrontation on Mars Hill and uh, the intellectuals. Certain people claved to him. Most of them mocked him. He's come then from Athens down to Corinth. There's Corinth right there. And I think this is valuable because you get a little more feel of this amazing city of Corinth. Now see, that's a narrow strip of land there. And Corinth had a seaport on both sides. That's four miles wide right there. And the Roman emperors actually, way back at the time of the Roman emperors, they wanted to put, they wanted to dig a canal through there. In fact, they actually tried, but they never got it finished. It was done in the 1800s. But there was a canal finally put through to save having to go all the way around here. And <clears throat> ships liked to come into these places because they were safe havens once you got back up in there. Corinth is located right here. Paul sends his letter to the Romans, which is clear over there, um, from Corinth. And that makes sense why Phoebe was from Sincreus. She was right there and she took that letter up to Rome. But anyway, um, Corinth had been around for a thousand years. It was established in the 10th century B.C. And so that one city was five times older than our nation. And uh, at one time, I think it was the, it was the largest city in the world. Uh, for hundreds of years, it had had a reputation of being the immoral capital of the world. And... Um, uh, the, the term, you've probably heard it many times, but the term was a, 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 to Corinthianize. It was, a, it was a, actually a word that they used. It means be act like a Corinthian. And so that was where this church was established. <clears throat> but um, in 146 B.C., the Romans destroyed the whole place. And it set basically a pile of rubble for a hundred years with various rabble living there, but it was not anything. And then Julius Caesar in 44 B.C. refounded the city because he knew how that was a strategic place. You don't want to have that destroyed. And he refounded the city, and by the time of Paul, which was about 100 years later, it already had probably 250 to 300,000 
inhabitants. It had grown massively. And by the end of the second century, it had 500,000. So it was a, it was quite a place. I mean, and um, you know, it hadn't had much time to. I mean, it was it was a truly cosmopolitan place, and uh, there was international trade there from all kinds. So Paul goes there, and you remember, there's not a church there. The church was founded, uh, the church at Corinth. He laid the foundation, remember? So he comes there and he meets Priscilla and Aquila and he stays with them. Now, we're told here that Aquila was a native of Pontus and Pontus was a Roman province on the shores of the Black Sea. It's not on the map here, but it's, it's right up here. So, um, we're told in Acts 2 uh, specifically that on the day of Pentecost there were people from Pontus down there in Jerusalem that heard the gospel. So we don't know. I mean, Aquila could have been, he could have been one of the ones that heard the gospel on the day of Pentecost. But at any rate, somehow the gospel had made it up there. We don't know uh, when he was converted, whether he was converted while he was still there. But at any rate, he had moved with his wife over to Rome. And um, they were in Rome, and Claudius made a um, ruling to expel the Jews from Rome. They were, he was having problems with Jews and uprisings. Interestingly, uh, one of the Roman historians said it, the uprisings were in relation to this one man named Christus. So I don't know. They they think that uh, it could easily have been a misunderstanding that the the Jews were causing these riots because Christ was being preached in Rome. But anyway, they got expelled, <clears throat> and uh, uh, Aquila, who was uh, as a Christian, a Jewish Christian, he would have been considered a Jew. So he and Priscilla moved down here, and. Uh, they hadn't been there very long at all before they meet this guy named Paul. And uh, they took him in. And we're told here in Acts that uh, he stayed with them. Um, verse 3, he stayed with them. And when we get down to verse 11, uh, he settled there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. So, Paul was laying the foundation of the church uh, at Corinth, and uh, this was when the ministry was taking place and people were being saved. The whole, that church was raised up. And um, from verses, and we're in Acts 18, and from verses 12 to 17, uh, it tells about uh, trouble that rose up there. Jews uh, rose up against Paul, brought him before the judgment seat. Verse 12, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And uh, Gallio, uh, the proconsul, just threw the whole thing out. He says this is not a matter of wrong or vicious crime, O Jews. But it's questions about words and names and your own law. Look after it yourselves. I'm unwilling to be judging these matters. He drove them away from the judgment seat. 
They all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. So it's a dangerous setting. <clears throat> and um, Paul, having remained many days longer after the year and a half, took leave of the brethren, put out to sea for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. So, they, it says in verse 19, they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. So, so over here is a, is a Greek area, Corinth and Sincrea and so on. Um, they set out, you know, Priscilla and Aquila are with him, they set out and they end up here at Ephesus. So Paul leaves them and he goes around like this and goes over here to Caesarea. Here it is. And then he travels all the way back around like this and eventually gets back to Ephesus. I'll just read the verses. Um, <clears throat> it says uh, in... Um, Let's see. Verse 21, Paul set sail from Ephesus, the last part of the verse. He landed at Caesarea, went up and greeted the church, went down to Antioch. Having spent some time there, he departed, passed successfully through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And so Paul then eventually... um, Let's see if I can find where it is. Uh, 19.1 It came about that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus. So he's back to Ephesus. Uh, Okay, so he leaves Priscilla and Aquila here. He comes down here to Caesarea. He makes this trip all the way around. And ends up back at Ephesus, strengthening this Galatian region, so he's strengthening these disciples. Comes back to Ephesus. And who who was still at Ephesus? Priscilla and Aquila. So he probably stayed with them. And uh, he was in that region for some time. Uh, First of all, it says three months uh, in chapter 19. And... uh, a little bit later, it says that he was there for two years. Uh, let's see. eight Verse 8 of chapter 19, he entered the synagogue, continued speaking out boldly for three months. And then in verse 10, this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So, Paul is there in Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus... He writes a letter. Okay, so here, he's here with Priscilla and Aquila, and he writes a letter, and that, what that letter's called is 1 Corinthians. So he's writing back to this church that he has founded, and who was there with him at, he's staying in their home the whole time, Priscilla and Aquila. And he was writing from over here back to the Corinthians. Let's just turn to that. First uh, Corinthians sixteen. 
verse 8. He says, But I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service is open to me. And there are many adversaries. You remember it was at Ephesus that they had that riot. Great is Artemis, the goddess of the Ephesians. They're throwing dust in the air. They're ready to kill Paul. Um, that was at Ephesus. At Ephesus, they're bringing out thousands of dollars worth, I mean lifetimes of dollars worth of magic books and burning them. It was a great revival. But it was also a very dangerous place. Which is something to keep in mind. But anyway, he's writing here in 16, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. He's still in Ephesus. He's writing back to the Corinthians. And you go down to um, verse 19. The churches of Asia greet you. Now, Asia is this whole area over here. This is Asia when he talks about Asia. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord. Why why so heartily? Because they'd lived in Corinth when the church was being formed. See, they they knew them. And they they greet them heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Now they've got another church meeting in their house in a different city. They're in Ephesus now. So <clears throat> um, in between here. Um, if you back, if you go back to Acts for a second, we I, I left out the part where Priscilla and Aquila minister to Apollos. Um, this is back after Paul had left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus, eighteen twenty-four. A certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth. An eloquent man came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the Scriptures. Alexandria was a center of learning. He was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, now that's going over to Corinth. Remember Paul writes to the Corinthians about Apollos. I planted Apollos watered. Well, he's getting ready to go from Ephesus over to Corinth. Uh, when When he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him and so on. So, that's a little aside where Priscilla and Aquila are involved. So, um, they have a house church once again while they're in Ephesus. Now, this Roman ruler that evicted them from Rome over there, he died in 54 A.D., Paul left Ephesus in 57 and came to Corinth again in 58. So the rulers died over there. Paul is left here and he's back over in Corinth and he writes a letter from Corinth. 
And what's it to? Well, it's the one we've been reading. He writes the letter to the Romans. He's back in Corinth and he writes the letter to the Romans. And that's where in chapter 16 he's greeting none other than Priscilla and Aquila who are now back in Rome. The emperor that had evicted them had died and the Jews made their way back up there. It was safe again. They went back up to Rome. So Paul is down here in in, uh, Corinth now writing the letter to the Romans and he mentions Priscilla and Aquila. And that's the verses we read at the beginning. So are you getting dizzy yet on, on their travels? I mean, think of this. They're in Corinth. I mean, they're in Rome. They come down to Corinth. They go to Ephesus. They're back in Rome. And they've already got a church in their home again in Rome. So evidently they had moved back after the emperor died along with others. Somebody said it's a good thing they were tent makers because they probably had to live in tents most of the time. But anyway, uh, they had moved back to Rome and Paul sends these words to them in the epistle to the Romans. Now, we're almost done with Priscilla and Aquila, but not quite. Second Timothy. Second Timothy 4. <clears throat> now Paul, the, these came at the end of his life, Timothy, and he's writing from Rome again after he's been taken prisoner and is back up there, maybe possibly had been released and then had been taken back again. We don't know all the situation. But he's writing uh, this last word here to Timothy. And in verse 19, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila. So, Timothy is in Ephesus. You have to go back and read First and Second Timothy, but he's in Ephesus. So here they are. They've come back. They've come from Rome back to Ephesus by that time, and they're ministering there. So I think that's all on the map. What lessons can we learn from this amazing couple? Well, first of all, they were a team for the Lord. And I just uh, got a little more of a glimpse of this than I, than I think I have in the past. Uh, they're mentioned six times in four different books of the Bible, and every time they're mentioned together. It's like they're a couple. And it was in, the, in, the, in, in Paul's mind and and in Luke's mind and everything, it was in their mind that those people, that couple was all out for God. They were a team. They were one. And um, it just seems like what a testimony, what a blessing it would be if every couple here today had the mindset that we are actively purposing and have the vision of working together as a couple to serve the Lord. I mean, all the way from um, hospitality to whatever it is, trying our utmost together to serve the Lord, the decisions we make and so on. And uh, that's the way it was with them. You, 
um, you get this feeling, even with uh, Apollos, it says they took him aside. They were they were together in all these things. And so, what a privilege and what a glory uh, to God to consciously work together. Second, they were given to hospitality. They had one person stay with them for a year and a half. That's not easy. A year and a half. You say, well, Apostle Paul, I'd love to do that. Well, don't be too sure. <laughs> Apostle Paul was a dangerous commodity. And uh, it wouldn't be easy to have someone like Paul stay with you for a year and six months. But think of the blessing that came back on their heads as a result of that inconvenience. I remember Jim and Terry took in Brother Saeed for what was it, a week or several days. And uh, I mean, you know, wasn't that a terrible burden? But initially, sometimes you feel, a lot of times you feel, wow, how am I going to have anybody come right now? It's always the world's worst time, isn't it? You know? And if you, if you do it, you find blessing coming back on your head. I remember one time Dick and I were, were in one of the churches here years ago before this church started, and a fellow came in, um, motorcycle, black leather jacket and a motorcycle guy, and he said, um, this was in the evening, and he said, um, my wife's sick, we're traveling on motorcycle going somewhere, and he said, uh, we're Christians. I thought, oh yeah, I'll bet you are. But he wanted to stay in that church building, and uh, they they weren't going to do that. And I remember um, what went through my mind, I don't know what went through Dick's mind, we were living together both single but I thought of the words of Francis Schaeffer about risking an unantiseptic situation. And I just thought, you know, in my own mind, I thought, well, we need to have them stay. And, and Dick thought the same thing. So they came over to our trailer, and his wife really was sick, and he really was a Christian. And he started telling us about verses that he was memorizing, and we had wonderful fellowship. We were entertaining angels unawares, you know. Blessing comes back upon you. Um, hospitality is one of the marks of true Christianity. Bill McLeod told us about it visiting in a country overseas and went to church there. And uh, he said that after the meeting was over, everybody put their collar up around their neck and headed out the door. Totally cold to him. Here he is from overseas. And, uh, but he said, I met this atheist that was so warm and hospitable. We had a great time. <laughs> now think of that. Think of the testimony. How bad that is. We had a brother here that... Uh, was going to go out of state uh, to visit a, another uh, church. And uh, it ended up the pastor had to have him sleep on his couch because there was nobody in the church that was willing to take in a single guy. Unbelievable. It ought not to be. It's a shame and a blot. Uh, someone said that the Christian home should not be a fortress 
That is, you know, you erect these walls, don't, no one in, you shall not pass. You You erect these walls. It should not be a fortress, it should not be a palace. You know, don't touch anything, look, but don't touch. You know, guided tour. But it ought to be what? A guest house. Evidently, that's, that's what why, why, are these, why is this couple being mentioned so much? Because people like the Apostle Paul knew he could come and stay there for a year and a half. It's amazing. Now, that doesn't mean we, we, need, we should be unwise. There's a lot of things where it's not even right to do that. It's just like our sister there in China inviting these people off the street. You've got to have wisdom doing that. You've got to be careful doing that. You've got to be careful having somebody stay with you a year and a half. But, on the other hand, we can get so antiseptic that we're not risking anything, can't we? Hospitality is a way to share in the ministry of others. You think of Paul. They, they, they shared in his ministry. Big time. It's a way to evangelize. Reaching out to have neighbors in for a meal or or like Christina there with the homeless. It's a way to establish relationships with others in the church. <clears throat> we were talking down at the fellowship conference with some of the folks from Texas. We, uh, we had this happen over the years. We'd have a wedding or something. People would come up and spend the night with us. And we'd have more real fellowship time with them because they were spending the night. You know, they put the kids down. They had young kids. They put them in bed and you have two or three hours where you're just talking about the Lord and you get to know people from a different state better than people in your own church. And it makes you think maybe sometime we need to start having people over to spend the night. It's the only way we're <laughs> going to get any time with each other. <laughs> Hospitality is a way that we can reach out to single people, especially college students. Um, it's, I mean, it's lonely to be single, isn't it? I mean, that, that's often the case. And uh, it's good to be in a home and to have fellowship. Uh, I tried to find, I had the statistic down. I, I think it's on a different computer, but it is, it is shocking the percentage of foreign students that come to America for four years and never once go into an American's home. They're never anything other than at the college. So it's a real opportunity. <clears throat> Hospitality is a way that we can minister to new or struggling Christians. Talk about that in a minute. Hospitality is costly, particularly in, in time, work, finances, and privacy. But Priscilla and Aquila are an example of hospitality. <clears throat> Thirdly, they were willing to instruct and help <clears throat> new Christians. And we read this account of Apollos. He was a new, new believer. He was real, but he hadn't been very instructed. And so it says, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they they said to him, wait till the Apostle Paul gets back and he can tell you the right doctrine. That's not what they said, is it? <laughs> they didn't say, "What you know, you're a little off in this or that, but I don't want to offend you, so I'll just smile and shake your hand. 
they didn't do that. They, it says they took him aside, and so they didn't do it publicly, but probably had him in their home. And they instructed him in the way of the Lord more accurately. So, they were willing to help and instruct new Christians. Um, one, one big encouragement to me over the years has been some of the, some of the families here have been exemplary in having new believers in their home. And just uh, encourage them. And try, I mean, you may think, I don't know very much. Well, if you've been a Christian for very long, you know enough to help people that haven't been a Christian very long. And um, to encourage them in the ways of God. So, you can do it. Think in those terms. Fourthly, they were willing to risk dangerous situations for the Lord. What's Paul say about them? He says, for my life they risk their own necks. And we read over that real lightly. But whenever you know people that are... You know that are out there, like some we do in Muslim countries and and other places, and they're that they could be killed. You it means more to you. And evidently, I don't know what the dangerous situations were. May it might have been at Corinth, but it's more likely at Ephesus where they would have killed Paul. But evidently. Um, they put their lives in danger for Paul. And uh, we say, well, we would have been glad to have the Apostle Paul stay with us. Well, think of uh, what it means when here's a guy that everywhere he went along the way, there were riots and people wanting to kill him and people even following him to kill him in the next place. And you take him in. And Paul goes out and starts preaching in the synagogue and there's a big riot there. And so they say they're going to kill you. You've got to get out of town fast. They get him out of the town. Well, yeah, he's gone, but Priscilla and Aquila are still in that house where, they, where he was staying. You see what we're talking about? It's a risk. It was to, they were, Paul talks about someone that was not ashamed of his chains. He went and visited him you know, in Rome. Um, it's... It's something to be identified with the guy that everybody else hates and is wanting to kill. That's a, that's a risky thing. And uh, Priscilla and Aquila had risked their necks for the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> we, we don't want to be reckless and unwise in putting our lives in danger, our family in danger, but beloved, if we're constantly judging those who for some reason uh, are putting themselves in danger because they're trying to follow the Lord and we're, we're saying about how foolish that is or whatever, there's something wrong in our own hearts. There's a time when it's wrong not to put ourselves in dangerous places and take risks for the Lord. We need to remember that. Priscilla and Aquila did it, and Paul commends them for it. And Paul was doing it all the time. Last thing, number five. They had numerous churches meet in their home or homes <clears throat> as they moved around. It's no small thing either. For one thing, 
your home becomes identified as the place where all those hated Christians are gathering every every week or every day or whenever. And so you get singled out particularly. You know, in countries like China, it's those pastors that are having all the people in their homes that are singled out. It's true in Muslim countries as well. But think of the blessing of a home like Priscilla and Aquila's where there were constant, the Word of God was constantly being shared. Their prayers were being made. Praises, songs were going forth from their homes wherever they went. Uh, you can tell from things that Paul says about them that they had formed deep bonds of love all over that part of the world. He says that all the churches of the Gentiles thank them. He said, I thank them and all the churches of the Gentiles thank them. There were a great many Christians who knew and loved Priscilla and Aquila. So, <clears throat> It's amazing, isn't it? Just to think of uh, the impact that one couple had um, and the encouragement they were to the Apostle Paul. May the Lord help us.